Welcome to the Summerton Church of God Sermon Podcast, a podcast to help you find life, freedom, and purpose in Jesus Christ. Well, this morning, continuing this series that we have been in, the word that the Lord gave us at the beginning of 2021, and that word is stand. And we have been making a declaration every Sunday since that we will stand. I love that song that we sing sometimes, come hell or high water. And come hell or high water, amen. When the dust clears, uh, you and I, we are going to continue to stand. And over the last few weeks, I've been talking to you about how important it is that we know our enemy so that we don't end up fighting the wrong enemy. And Peter is very clear in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. He is very clear about who our enemy is. He said, be alert and be of sober mind because your enemy, the devil. It doesn't get any more clear than that. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And so what we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks as it relates to us getting to know our enemy, and listen, we need to get to know him because he knows us. Amen? He knows us not because he's omniscient, but because he has studied our lives. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our vulnerabilities. He takes really good notes. And unfortunately, he knows many of us better than many of us know him. And that's why we have to take time like we're doing right now to know who our enemy is so that we can be better prepared to stand against him in the evil day. So we've been talking about a couple of things as it relates to knowing our enemy. One is we've uh, reminded ourselves that the devil is real, that he is not just a symbol of evil, but he is a very real being. A very real person. You'll need to go back a couple of weeks and listen to that message if, uh, if you need further truth about the reality of the devil. But then also over the last few weeks and continuing today, we've been talking about the fact that the devil has a plan. Not only is he real, but he has a plan. And we've talked about several different things as it relates to the plan of the enemy. But that's why Paul said this in Ephesians chapter 6. He says that we need to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And that we need to put on the full armor of God. And we're gonna begin talking about the armor of God next week. But he says to put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And you don't need me to remind you this morning, but I will that the word schemes means methods. It means the, the, the plans it means the devices that the enemy uses to try and to destroy us. If you, if you could see him right now, he's probably got his demon cohorts around him and they're at a whiteboard and they're trying to devise a plan based upon your weaknesses and your vulnerabilities to try to destroy you. And we do not need to be ignorant, Paul says, of the devil's devices. We need to know not just who our enemy is, but we need to know how our enemy works. And we've discovered a few things about him that one of those things is that he wants to distract us. That's why Paul said this in Ephesians 6 and 12. He said that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, 
and against powers and against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Because as we've talked about, if we're not careful, the enemy wants us to get or to fight against someone who is really not our enemy because that'll keep our attention and our focus off of him. So he is, he is seeking to distract us, but not only does he want to distract us, he wants us divided because he knows that a kingdom or a house that is divided against itself cannot what? Cannot stand. So if we're going to stand in the evil day, we can't be divided. We've got to be united. We, we've got to be one. But another thing that the enemy is trying to do is he wants us discontent. He knows that God, according to Ecclesiastes, that God has put eternity in our hearts. That means that nothing temporary in this life could ever fulfill us. And nothing temporary in this life could ever satisfy us. But the enemy is trying to convince us that we can be satisfied and fulfilled by temporary things. And he sends us on this journey that ends with us like Solomon saying that it's just all meaningless, that it leads nowhere and it does nothing for you. But then another thing that we've discovered that he is attempting to do is to discourage us. And I believe that one of the reasons why, maybe the primary reason why he wants to discourage us is because if he can get us discouraged, he can get us to quit. He can get us to give up. That's why he wants you to get discouraged in your marriage. And that's why he wants you to get discouraged on your job. And that's why he wants you to get discouraged in your relationship with God is because his whole goal is to pull you away from God. And he would like to get you discouraged because he knows that when you are discouraged, you're so much more likely to quit. But today we're going to pick up and finish out this section that we're talking about as far as getting acquainted and, and, and knowing our enemy. And I want to begin today by talking to you about the fact that along with those other things that we've talked about, that another tactic of the enemy is that the enemy wants you, Satan wants you to doubt. Now I'm not going to spend very long on this point because the next point that I'm going to talk about, this and the next point work together. But let me just say that God wants, or, or, or Satan wants you and I, he wants us to doubt God's word. What God's word has to say about who we are and what God's word has to say about his plan and his purpose for our lives. Because he knows that if he can get us to doubt God's word, that in reality we are doubting God himself. And what does, what does James say about a person who doubts? He says that a person who doubts is a double-minded person. And that a double-minded person is what? Unstable in all their ways. They're not firmly fixed. So he knows that if he can get us to doubt, that it's more likely that he can get us to fall because we are not stable. But let's move on to the, the, the sixth thing because this is where I really want to spend time this morning because I believe that perhaps the enemy uses this device, this scheme that we're going to talk about mostly this morning to destroy more people and not just people but people of God perhaps than any other weapon that he uses and that's the weapon of deception. And the enemy wants to deceive you. He is a master deceiver. 
Listen to what Jesus said about him in John chapter 8, verse 44, and be ready to write some notes today. Be ready to write down a lot of scripture references. But Jesus said this about the devil. He said that he was a murderer from the beginning. And when he's talking about from the beginning, he means that from the beginning of his rebellion, from the beginning of his fall, God didn't create him as a murderer. He became one. But after his rebellion against God, after sin arose, that sin of pride arose in his heart, and he rebelled against God and was kicked out of heaven from his beginning here on earth, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. Look at this, for there is no truth in him. And I, I, I don't understand that because sometimes I hear believers even come to me and say, the devil's been talking to me all week. Tell him to shut up. He's a liar. I mean, this is Jesus speaking here, and he says there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. Our native language is English. The devil's native language is lies. He is a liar, and he, he says he's a liar, but not only is he a liar, but he is the father of all liars, the father of lies. And then Revelation chapter 12 tells us this about him, that the great dragon, dragon referring to, to Satan, that the great dragon was cast out. This is a result of his rebellion against God, that serpent of old. Now remember that term right there, that serpent of old, because we're going to find out where that term comes from here in just a moment as we talk about the deception of the enemy. That serpent of old called the devil and Satan. He's got a few different names. The devil and Satan, and notice what his purpose is, who deceives the whole world. Who deceives the whole world. And do you know that there are people all over this world, in every nation of the world, that have been deceived by the devil. Even the Jewish nation the enemy, Satan, was able to deceive them to the point that they rejected Jesus as Messiah. That's how skilled he is at his deception. But he is one who deceives the whole world, and he was cast to the earth and his demons with him. Now, let me tell you how he goes about deceiving people. Sometimes it's a very direct attack. Most of the time, it's indirect. Many times his operation is overt, or sometimes his operation is overt, but most of the time, he comes undercover. His operation is covert. And when we look in Scripture, we really find, I think, just one time where Satan himself, not a representative of Satan, but Satan himself confronts someone in Scripture for the purpose to deceive and to destroy. And that's in Matthew chapter 4 when Satan confronts Jesus himself. I mean, this is a battle between Satan, the prince of evil, and the son of God. And look at what happens here in verse 4, or in verse 2 of, of, of Matthew chapter 4. It says that after fasting for 40 days, Jesus was hungry. Hey, you ever fasted 40 days? If you fast 40 days and 40 nights, guess what? You're going to be hungry. This speaks not just of the divinity of Christ, but of the humanity of Christ, that he did feel hunger. 
And notice that for, after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. And the tempter, how many of you have gotten acquainted with the devil as the tempter? Yes. He, 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 let, me, let me just say something right here just in case the enemy is trying to deceive you. It is not a sin for you to be tempted. So don't think that because you've been tempted that you've sinned. No, sin comes when you give in to the temptation. It's not a sin to be tempted. We're all going to be tempted. Even, even Jesus himself was tempted. But the tempter comes to Jesus in the wilderness and notice what he does. Immediately he tries to sow a seed of doubt by saying, if you are the son of God. And you see, that's what the enemy wants to do with all of us here. He wants us to doubt who we are in Christ. And he begins that way with Christ. If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. See, what he does is he appeals to that weakness of Christ that right now he hasn't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights and he's hungry. And he says, listen, if you're really the son of God, you can, you can speak to these rocks right here and you can turn them into bread. And listen to what Jesus' response is. It is written. Now, here's what we're going to find out in the weeks to come, that the way that we defeat the enemy's schemes is through being dressed in the armor of God. And a couple of those pieces of the armor are called the belt of truth and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That's how you overcome the deception of the enemy. And Jesus teaches us that here. Jesus answered and said, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And here's what Jesus was speaking to the devil here. He was saying, listen, the, the, the physical food that will sustain me physically, he said, that's only temporary. I'll get hungry again. But spiritual food is something that can sustain me forever. Spiritual food is something that can, that can sustain me throughout all of eternity. And he said, I don't need just physical food that will sustain me physically. I also need spiritual food that will sustain me spiritually. You see, this is so important, folks, as it, re as it relates to being able to stand against the temptation and the deception of the enemy. Is you need more than just physical strength. You need to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And, and so he says, man, man's not going to be able to make it on bread alone. Man's got to have more than that to overcome. You got to have spiritual food. Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Well, the devil's not done yet. The devil then took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the pinnacle or, or, or of, of the temple. And notice he says it again. If you are the son of God, then throw yourself down. That's like him putting you on the top of the Empire State Building. And saying, now jump. And that's what he does with Jesus. For it is written. And, and notice here, now this is, this is important. He's quoting word for word Psalm chapter 91 verses 11 and 12. You see, the devil knows the word of God. And he quotes it here word for word. Because he looks at Jesus and says, hey, doesn't Psalm 91, 11, and 12 say that he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone? Listen, he's quoting the scripture word for word, but here's how he deceives. He takes it out of context. And that's why you've got to know not just what the word of God says, but you've got to know the context of God's word. Because the enemy will come and he'll take it out of context. And, and, and so no, notice what Jesus does. Jesus answers back and says, well, it's also written, do not put the Lord God to the test. Do not tempt the Lord thy God. 
Yeah, it says that you can take up a serpent and it'll not bite you or that you can drink deadly things and it will not harm you, but that doesn't mean that you bring out a box of snakes in the middle of church. I tell you what that is, that's stupid. And you can't fix stupid. That's tempting the Lord. When you take a serpent or when you purposely pick up something poisonous and say, well, the Bible said it wouldn't harm me. Yes, if you are accidentally bitten by a serpent or if you accidentally drink something that is poisonous, not tempting God to the point of trying, that's magic. And so Jesus says, it is written, you don't tempt the Lord God. You're taking it out of context. And then notice the third time, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said, all this I will give you. Now, let me just stop right here and say, this is exactly what the devil will do. He'll promise you the world. He'll promise you everything, but he can't deliver on anything. That's just the way he works. That's the way that he deceives. And he told Jesus, he said, hey, you, you, you bowed down to me. He said, I'll give all of this to you. Well, first of all, let me just say it already belonged to him. He was the one who created it all. Oh, somebody help me preach this morning. I'm excited about preaching the word today. But he said, all of this, I'm going to give it to you if you will bow down and worship me. Let me ask you something. Why did the devil get kicked out of heaven? Because he wanted to be like God. Because he wanted others to bow down and worship and serve him the way that others were bowing down and worshiping God. And that's why he comes to deceive. He, he, his ultimate goal, listen to me, is to pull you and I away from God and pledge our allegiance to him. And so Jesus answers back and says, away from me, Satan. Notice, tempter, devil, Satan. He shows up in all three aspects, trying to deceive and destroy Christ. But Jesus says, away from me, Satan. Satan meaning adversary, enemy. He recognized who Satan was. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So we see here a direct attack. This is Satan himself, not trying to disguise himself as anyone or anything else, just he himself confronting Christ. But most of the time, when he comes as a deceiver, it's more indirect, it's more subtle. And that's what happens in Genesis chapter three. This is why Jesus said that he was a murderer and that he's been deceiving from the beginning. Notice what it says. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. Now, now let me tell you something about the serpent here. The serpent that Eve saw is not the serpent that you and I see today. Because the serpent that you and I see today crawls on its belly. The serpent did not crawl on its belly until after the curse. And then that's when God cursed the serpent and said from this day forward that you're going to crawl on your belly and you're going to eat dust. So now when we see a serpent, what do we do? We either run or we scream or we find something to kill it with, don't we? 
But see, that's not what Eve saw. What Eve saw was the most cunning, crafty, clever beast that the Lord God had made. Maybe even the one that most closely resembled a human being. And so here's what the devil does. The devil uses that serpent and works through the serpent to deceive Eve. And that's how he deceives folks today. And I'm going to share with you in just a moment how he is trying to deceive the body of Christ today. But let me, let me tell you what, he, what, what he'll do. He'll even use systems to try to deceive. Systems like the entertainment system or the media systems of our world. The political systems of our world. The, the educational systems of our world. Even the religious systems of our world. He'll try to use those systems because the Bible refers to them as the rulers of the darkness of this age. But, but notice what happens here, that the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, notice now he tries to plant a seed of doubt. Did God really say did God really say that you must not eat? Now, now notice how he twists this. That you must not eat from any tree in the garden. Now listen, God did not say that. Here's what God said. He said, you can eat from any tree in the garden freely. Don't leave out that word freely. Because God wants us to know that his commandments are not burdensome and heavy. But he said, you can eat from any tree in the garden that you want to eat from freely. But how does the enemy turn it around? Did God say that you couldn't eat from any of the trees in the garden? Now, you got, you got to give it to Eve. Now, listen, I don't believe Eve knew she was being deceived. I really don't. Because I don't believe you can be deceived if you know you're being deceived. Do I need to say that again? I don't believe you can be deceived if you know you're being deceived. No, that's rebellion. That's just outright disobedience. People that come up and say, well, I just couldn't help it. The devil deceived me. No, he did not deceive you. You knew exactly. Your eyes were open. You knew exactly what was going on the whole time, and you chose to do what you chose to do. Listen, you cannot be deceived if you don't know you're being deceived. And I don't think Eve knew she was being deceived. Because notice what happens. When he says, didn't the Lord say that you could not eat of any of the trees in the garden? She responds with truth. She said, no, 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 serpent. That's not what God said. We can eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But, but, but she sets him straight and she says, but God did say that we must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it. Now, God never told them they couldn't touch it. Adam probably told her not to touch it. I mean, seriously. He's trying to do everything he can to protect her. Listen, don't, 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 eat, don't even touch it. Don't, don't even look at it. Or, notice what, what he said, God said, you will die certain death 
You will die. Now, let me, let me just stop right here. Man, I tell you what, I just can't believe how time gets away from me on Sunday morning because I've got so much I want to say. But I, I just need you to know this morning that there was nothing in and of itself wrong with the tree. The tree was not poisonous. The fruit from the tree was not poisonous. I don't know, it could have may have been like some of the others of trees in the garden that bore some of the same kind of fruit or, or maybe it was a tree that bore a different kind of fruit than any other tree in the garden. But I know that the tree itself was not poisonous. The fruit itself was not poisonous. It wasn't that sin entered the human race because Eve took the fruit and ate it and there was something in the fruit. No, all the tree was was an opportunity for Adam and Eve to either obey or disobey God. It's like if you tell your little preschooler, honey, don't touch that hot eye on the stove because if you do, it will burn you. Now there's nothing evil about the stove. The stove has a good purpose. But if the child rebels and disobeys and touches that hot stove, they're going to get burnt. It wasn't the stove's fault. The stove wasn't poisonous. The tree wasn't poisonous. The fruit from the tree was not poisonous. What caused sin in the human race was their disobedience, was their rebellion against the command of God. And, and she said, he said that if we, if we eat from it, if we touch it, then we're going to die. And listen to what the serpent says. No, you won't. You will not certainly die. The biggest lie he wants you to believe. Listen to me, write it down. You need this. The biggest lie that the devil wants you to believe is there are no consequences for your sin. Do whatever you want to do. Live whatever life you want to live. There will be no consequences to your sin. And I'm telling you, people fall for it like crazy. No, no, he says, you will not certainly die. Blatantly calling God a liar. And then, and then notice what happens. For God knows that when you eat from that tree, your eyes will be opened. Now listen, their eyes were already open. They already knew the difference between good and evil. They had a, 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 a mental knowledge of what good and evil was because it was good to eat of any tree in the garden, but it was not good to eat from the one tree in the garden. So they already had a sense of good and evil, but he says, your eyes are going to be opened. And you will what? You will be like God. Again, isn't that what got him kicked out of heaven? Is wanting to be worshiped and wanting to be served like God is worshiped and like God is served. And listen, this is why the enemy is trying to deceive. He's trying to pull you away from God, not just to pledge your allegiance to the enemy, but here's what the devil is telling you. You'll be so much better off if you'll just be your own God. If you'll just be your own authority, 
You, you don't need God. You, you need to be like God. Now, when we think about being like God, we want to be like God in his holiness. We want to be like God in his love. We want to be, be like the good characteristics of God. But when the devil talks about being like God, he wants to be worshiped and he wants to be served like God is worshiped and served. And that's what he's trying to convince so many others to do. Be your own God. Call your own shots. You have the wisdom, apart from God, you have the wisdom to discern what's good and what's evil. And that's why the Bible said in the latter days that evil would be called good and good would be called evil because you got people thinking that they're wise when they're not. Listen, we are not more wise than God. We are not smarter than God. Romans chapter one tells us what happens when we try to be God ourselves because it says down around verse 28 that instead of worshiping the creator, they begin to worship and serve the created beings. And as a result of that, every evil thing that you could imagine breaking out on earth began to break out. That's where human wisdom takes you. That truth is not absolute. It's relevant. What may be true for you may not be true for me. And what might be true for me may not be true for Listen to me. We're not the ones who determines what truth and, and what lies are. The word of God is the one who establishes that. And if God says it's truth, it's truth. And if God says it's a lie, it's a lie. I don't care what generation you're a part of. I don't care what part of the country you live in. If the word of God says it's truth, it's truth. And if it says it's a lie, it's a lie. And that translates to all generations and all cultures of the world. Stay with me. Stay with me just a few more minutes. Listen, listen now. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good, pleasing, and desirable, she ate it. Now, I wish I had more time to comment on that, but I need to move forward to what Paul says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. Paul says to the church at Corinth, he says, I'm, I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ you see, this was a church that evidently, at one time, they were purely devoted to Christ. But he said, I have a fear that that devotion that you have to Christ is going to be corrupted. Look at this now. He says, just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent, just as the serpent came from without the garden into the garden, and in his cunning, crafty way deceived Eve, so that she sinned. He said, there are some that are trying to get into the church, that there are some that are trying to get into the house of God among the people of God from the outside coming in for the purpose of deception. And listen to what he says. You happily put up with whatever anyone tells you. Even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach or a different kind of spirit than the one you received or a different kind of gospel than the one that you believe. Listen, when you preach a different Jesus and you preach a different spirit, that is a different gospel. And it is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And he said that those are coming from without into the church. Now, let me tell you what Paul said back in Acts chapter 20, verses 29 and 30. When he left the body of Christ in Ephesus to go to another place to do ministry, when he left them, he said, I know that when I'm gone, that savage wolves are going to come in among the body of Christ for the purpose of destroying the flock of God. But notice, he said, not only are they going to come from the outside to the inside. He said, some that are presently on the inside, he said, they're going to begin to rise up and they're going to distort the truth in order to pull people away from their devotion to Christ and get them to be their own followers. Now I'm telling you something, folks, what happened in the Corinthian church and in the Ephesus church, it's happening in the church that we are a part of today. That folks get up some places, hopefully not here. And I promise you that as long as I'm here as your pastor, that every person that comes in here, that every word they speak will be tested as to whether or not what they are saying lines up with what the word of the Lord says. But notice, he said, you happily receive them. And he said, now you've got to understand, for these kind of people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light, that just as Satan used the serpent to deceive Eve, he's using these false apostles and these false teachers in the body of Christ to, de- to deceive the very elect, to deceive the very people of God. And he said, you shouldn't be surprised. That's just the way the enemy works. He disguises himself most of the time. It's an indirect, subtle attack. And he says, it's not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. But he said, their end will be what their actions deserve. They will be judged for what they are doing. First Timothy chapter four, verse one, look at what the apostle Paul says. Stay with me here. He said, the spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. That's why Paul had to address things like this in 1 Corinthians 6. He said, do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Because what these false teachers were teaching was that grace is basically a license for you to sin. That grace is basically a license for you to do whatever it is that you want to do. If it looks good to you, if it's pleasing to you, if it's desirable to you, then have your way with it. But Paul said, no, do not be deceived. People who live like that will not make it to heaven. Notice what he says. Galatians 6 and 7, he says, do not be deceived. You need to get in the Bible sometime and read how many times Paul says that. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Do you know what that tells us? There are consequences for our sin. That there are consequences for our disobedience and rebellion. 
Notice what he said in 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good character. Listen to me, young folk. It matters who you hang out with. It matters who you surround your life with. Not just young folk, mom and dad, grandma, grandpa, all of us. And that's why we got to be careful about who gets on this stage to lead us in worship and to speak to us the word of God. That's why it's important who's teaching our children. That's why it's important who's teaching our students because there are many being used by the enemy to deceive. So you see, sometimes it's very direct as he did with Jesus. Sometimes, most of the time, it's, it's more indirect. But can I tell you what? Let, 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 Jeremiah says this in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse seven. He says, do you know what is the most deceitful thing of everything? He said, the heart of man is deceitful above all things. That's why our heart has to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth. And our minds have to be transformed by the word of God. Listen, listen to what Paul says. And Tanya, you can go ahead and help me close here. Goodness. This is one point right here I could have taken several weeks to talk about. Paul says this. Paul says to the church at Thessalonica, he says, in the last days, there's going to be false prophets and there's going to be false teachers. But, but he said, listen, don't prohibit it from happening because prophecy and teaching is still a gift of the Holy Spirit to the body of Christ. So he says, don't, don't scorn prophecies. But he said, be faithful to examine them by putting them to the test and afterward hold tightly to what is proven to be right. You see, that's our responsibilities as leaders in the body of Christ is to examine everything. That's, that's why in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, I love the Bereans. It says that the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message that Paul was preaching with great eagerness. But notice what they did. They examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Now, let me tell you something. If you're putting Paul to the test, how much more should we hold one, one another accountable for what we preach and for what we teach? Paul said this in 2 Timothy 3, 13, and we'll end with this point. He says that evil people and imposters are gonna flourish in the last days. He's talking about in the last days, the perilous times that are gonna come. And he says that evil people and imposters are gonna flourish. He said they're gonna deceive others and will themselves be deceived. Now, whether they're intentionally deceiving others or not, I don't know, because if you're deceived, you don't know you're deceived. If you're deceived, you believe that what you believe is truth. And you're so convinced that what you believe is the truth, you're teaching other people what you are convinced of. And so because you're deceived, now you're deceiving others. You see, that's why we gotta be careful, even about what we believe, and examine what we believe to scripture so that we'll make sure that we're not deceived, so that we're not deceiving others. But it is possible, self-deception. Because listen to what he says here in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, do not deceive yourselves. 
If any of you think you're wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. In other words, if you think, I don't need God, I'll call the shots, I'll be the boss of my life, I'll be the authority of my life, I'm the one that determines what's good and what's evil in my life. Not God, not his word, not anybody else. That kind of wisdom, he says, is foolishness. That's why the Bible tells us in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding, but in all ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. But then he goes on and he says this, Galatians 6 and 3, if anyone thinks there's something when they're not, what? They deceive themselves. And what Paul is talking about here is people who think they don't need other people in their life to hold them accountable. I got this. You don't have to confront me on my sin because I don't ever sin. And the Bible says when you get to that point of pride and you think you're something when you're nothing, you're deceiving yourself. But not only that, he goes on and says in James 1 and 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Because see, the enemy will convince you that all you need to do today was come to church and hear a message. You're deceiving yourself because just hearing the word of God, yes, it may build your faith, but I'm gonna tell you, hearing the word of God does not transform and change your life. It's only when you do what the word of God says. And the enemy don't care if you listen to the, to the word of God all day long as long as you don't do it because he knows as long as you don't work it, it ain't gonna work in your life. So don't deceive yourself thinking all I need to do is hear it. No, you need to be obedient. You need to do what the word of the Lord says. Those who consider themselves religious, it don't get any easier. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, they deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Oh, somebody, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm a follower of Christ. And then you talk bad about everybody else and everything else. Your tongue is out of control. Your tongue is saying slanderous things. Your tongue is saying lying things. Your tongue is saying divisive things. The Bible says you're deceiving yourself if you think that you have a relationship with God and you've not yet been able to bridle your tongue. I better move on from that one. 1 John 1, 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But do you know what the very next verse says? But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. All of us, the Bible says, have sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God. There's not a one of us in this room here today that can say that we have not sinned. And there's probably not a one of us in this room here today that can say we have not sinned lately. We deceive ourselves. Now why? Team, if you'll come on out, if you'll come on out. Why does the enemy work so hard to distract us, to discourage us, to cause us to be discontent? cause us to doubt, to deceive us. Why, why, is the, why does he work so hard? Because, listen, his ultimate goal is to destroy you. 
He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And I want to tell you something. The devil will not be happy till you're dead. And do you know what his preference is? He wants you dead apart from God. He, he would love it if, if your life were to end before you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal savior. Man, that's his goal, that's his aim. He wants to do everything he can to keep you out of heaven. But I'm telling you, I sense the presence of the Lord in this room here this morning. And it ain't nothing man's doing. I believe that the Holy Spirit is doing a work in this house right now, convicting not just sinners, but saints. And I want all of us to stand together this morning. And whether you know him or whether you don't know him, I believe there needs to be some repentance going on in this room here today. Because we've believed some things that are lies. We, we, have, we have been deceived by the enemy. Listen, if you're here today and you think that grace is just a license for you to do whatever you wanna do and God will understand and God will forgive, you're deceived. You're deceived. And you need to understand today that if it were not for the mercy of God, you wouldn't even be here. That it's the mercy of God that keeps you alive in spite of your sin. Well, I hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. We here at Summerton Church of God believe that God is a God who still does miracles. And we're seeing it on a weekly basis. People's lives being transformed by the power of God, being saved, healed, and delivered for the glory of God. And we want you to experience for yourself. So why don't you come and be our guest one Sunday here at Summerton Church of God. I look forward to personally meeting you.